Today, we're interviewing Dr. Carrie Henning-Smith, Associate Professor in the Division of Health Policy and Management at the University of Minnesota to discuss rural aging. In the United States alone, 10 million older adults live in rural communities. Rural older adults often face unique health disparities related to limited finances, public transportation, and access to health and support services. However, describing challenges alone does not address health disparities. Improving the health of rural older adults requires community input and innovation to address the social determinants of health, such as where people live, work, and play. In this episode, podcast co-host, Dr. Juanita Donbashu, PhD candidate Rita Hu, and doctoral student Kaylee Ligas, sit down with Dr. Henning Smith to chat about rural aging and discuss some key challenges and actions for moving forward. The Gerontological Society of America, Meaningful Lives as We Age. Welcome to Science and Storytelling, a GSA 75th anniversary podcast on aging. So thank you for joining us, Dr. Henning Smith. Now to start out, can you tell us a little bit about your story and how you first became interested in gerontology? Sure. First of all, it's my pleasure to be here with the three of you. Thanks for having me today and giving me a chance to share some of my story and some of my interests. As you said in the introduction, I'm currently at the University of Minnesota School of Public Health where I'm an associate professor in the Division of Health Policy and Management, and I'm the deputy director of the Rural Health Research Center. And thinking back on when I first became interested in gerontology, I have trouble thinking of one concrete moment. But I do know for sure that my grandparents on both sides were a big part of my life growing up. And as I became older, I saw changes in their health. I saw challenges in their housing situations. I saw um, challenges around caregiving and all of the things that came with it. And I was intimately involved in those challenges, which gives me some perspective on what that was like, at least within my own family. Intergenerational relationships, even outside of my family, have always been really important to me to I can think of one example. In high school, I volunteered as a respite volunteer. I spent time with a woman who was in her late 80s so that her daughter, who was her live-in caregiver and was in her late 60s herself, could have an hour a week to get outside of their small home and take a walk and have a little time to herself. And I I think being in that home with those women, being part of their lives in that way, gave me a sense of how important those connections can be and how much we all need one another. After undergrad, my first job was as a case manager in Washington, D.C. I worked with people with persistent mental illness and housing instability in that job. And with every client that I worked with, I saw how age intersected with those health issues, with those housing issues, and I saw inequities across the lifespan. From there, I went on to graduate school at the University of Michigan, the Greta is there now, where I got my MSW and MPH with a specialist in gerontology certificate and was really interested in clinical social work in gerontology. Then I maintained that interest. I worked for the Milwaukee County Department on Aging for a couple of years doing 
community organizing, more macro practice, and eventually went on to the University of Minnesota for a PhD in health policy, taking me all the way from the clinical to the larger policy realm. In my current research, I maintain this interest in gerontology and aging, and I'm especially interested in how context impacts how people can age and the opportunities people have for good quality of life at all stages. Oh, wow. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. That's very interesting. And uh, aging and gerontology really is such an important topic and career path since we know that over 700 million people globally are older adults ages 65 and older. And that this number is actually it's going to double to about 1.5 billion, they estimate by 2050. So thanks for thanks for sharing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would like to follow up with the question as you kind of shared about your trajectory and how you landed in rural aging topic. But can you tell us a little bit more about your research in rural aging and share some of the key findings from your own research? Sure, I would love to. Uh, much like my interest in gerontology was informed by personal experience, my interest in rural health and rural health policy is informed by my own experience growing up outside of a small town in southern Wisconsin by my family ties to rural places across the Midwest and by my interest in what it was like to live in different places, different contexts throughout my childhood and young adulthood and seeing how those different contexts influenced my own health, my own well-being, my own social experiences. And so I take all of that into the work that I do looking at rural aging. I have funding from the Federal Office of Rural Health Policy within HRSA. And with that funding, I've been able to lead several projects in the past few years focused on rural aging. Uh, these have really run the gamut of topics, but they've included looking at social isolation, access to care for rural Medicare beneficiaries, assembling a chart book of rural and urban differences among older adults, thinking about how to support older adults living alone in rural areas, including a partnership with Meals on Wheels to look at food service delivery to those older adults, supports for rural older adults aging in place and housing characteristics for those adults, and a project looking at where the highest rates of adults aged 85 or older, um, those oldest old group live, and describing some of the community assets and opportunities in those places. So that's kind of a laundry list of projects, but I'll, I'll say that across the board, we have found that rural older adults, as you said in your question, experience inequities in health access to care, satisfaction with care, and access to financial resources compared with urban older adults. But I also think it's really important to mention that we've identified assets in the communities where rural older adults live. And we've heard time and time again in key informant interviews and focus groups and case studies that we've done about the importance of older adults to the communities where they live across rural America. I really like to say that rural communities in many ways are ahead of the curve when it comes to aging. They have older age distributions and they're having to think about some of these demographic shifts more quickly than urban areas are having to. And so I find it really exciting to see some of that innovation and resourcefulness that happens 
to be able to meet the needs of rural older adults. Thanks for sharing that. We know that rural communities are diverse. So what policies are needed to improve the lives of rural older adults? It's a great question. And I really appreciate you mentioning the diversity of rural places. I think we have a tendency to stereotype rural places as being older, poorer, sicker, and whiter. And statistics bear some of that out. On average, all of those are true compared with urban places. But if we stop there, we miss, we miss the incredible diversity within rural people and within rural places. For example, today, approximately one in every five rural residents is Black, Indigenous, or a person of color. Rural land covers more than 90% of all land mass in the United States. So if you just think about that, about the incredible geographic diversity that we have across the country from tropical Hawaii to frontier Alaska to Appalachia and the Southern Black Belt, the Great Plains, mountainous west, deserts, forests, everything in between, most of that land is rural and the solutions to meet the needs of older adults aging in those places needs to vary and it needs to recognize the diversity of the people and the places and the challenges they face. Uh, so because of that, there's not really one one size fits all policy. If anything, I would say that we need flexible funding programs that allow rural communities to use resources in a way that meets their needs and in a way that they know will be efficient. And I will say, I think it's really important to continue to address infrastructure challenges in rural communities and to see infrastructure policy as being health policy and as being a way of promoting good health. I'm especially interested in infrastructure that addresses current challenges of climate change, which are having a severe impact on rural communities, and issues of transportation, energy, broadband internet access, and all of these other infrastructure issues that we hear discussed, but I don't think that we think often enough of how those connect with the health and well-being of older adults in rural places. Thank you so much for sharing. So it's really great to hear about your solutions-focused approach and really moving beyond those kind of unidimensional and urban-centric views of, of aging and your focus there. So that's fantastic. How has the GSA played a pivotal role in your career development? Great question. Um, GSA was one of the first conferences I attended and one of the per first professional organizations I joined. I remember when I was a master's student at the University of Michigan and getting a lot of wonderful advising around joining GSA and around joining this really warm and welcoming professional community. And I've maintained that through my PhD and into my career as a faculty member. I really get a lot of energy and inspiration from connecting with other people through GSA. And I think what makes it really special is how unique it is in pulling together so many different disciplines in which everyone is interested in ensuring that all people get access to good quality of life, however we define that, across the lifespan. And I think when you get so many different backgrounds and experiences and disciplines in the same room or the same virtual space, there's just a lot of good that can come out of that. 
Definitely. Yes, those are um, fantastic points. And it really is great to have a, a kind of a central hub that, you know, supports and provides these great mentorship opportunities for even us as co-hosts, as new emerging researchers, etc. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, you highlight a lot about interdisciplinary collaboration through GSA and uh, among your own work. And now just looking forward, what does the future hold for this field and especially rural aging? I think the future is bright and I have to believe that that's what gets me up in the morning and helps me come to work every day. I have to have a lot of hope and a lot of optimism about the future. I think for better or worse, we need to find answers to some of these enormous and vexing questions on how to best support everyone in aging well in any context. And so rural communities offer unique challenges and unique opportunities, and we need to think better about how to support people in that context or in whatever context they choose to live in as they grow older. And I also think, as I said before, that we need to address some of the most pressing crises of our time, things like climate change and race, racial justice. And we need to see those as being part of the work that we do in rural aging, not separate issues, but instead central issues to supporting good health and good quality of life for all people, no matter what age they are and no matter where they live. Thank you, Dr. Henning-Smith, for meeting with us today and sharing some of your insights. I'm sure our listeners have learned a lot today, not only about rural aging, but more importantly, about actions to improve the quality of life for older adults living in rural communities. And for our listeners, do you have a suggested citation or further reading for further information about this topic? Sure. Uh, it's impossible for me to choose just one, but I would point listeners to a couple of different places. One, our website, the University of Minnesota Rural Health Research Center website, lists all of our publications. And so if there's a project that I talked about today, you will find policy briefs and manuscripts linked on our website that might answer some of your questions about that project. I would also point listeners to the Rural Health Research Gateway. It's a federally funded website that houses the work of all of the HRSA funded rural health research centers from around the country. And so if you're interested in the intersection of rural health and aging, you are very likely to find work on that website that will be of interest. To and then finally, I have to put in a plug as an associate editor at the Journal of Applied Gerontology. I think that we are often frequently publishing wonderful work in that venue, including work on rural aging and aging in context. Definitely. Those are great resources. Thanks for sharing. Another book, too, that I'd like to mention that just came out, Remote and Rural Dementia Care Policy, Research and Practice by Anthony Inns, Deborah Morgan and Jane Farmer. So although the book's not just focused on rural, it goes kind of beyond that even into dementia care. So really cool there. So thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Henning Smith. It's been great to sit down with you today. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. The Gerontological Society of America was founded in 1945 to cultivate excellence in interdisciplinary aging research and education to advance innovations in practice and policy. For more information about GSA, please visit geron.org. That's G-E-R-O-N dot O-R-G.